This evening we're going to be in 2 Samuel 16, and the last time in 15 we saw the seven marks of a false leader or a bad leader based on the uh, life exemplification of Absalom. David is on the run, having a difficult time. Just imagine being the king and all the creature comforts, and then you have to flee, take whatever you can carry, and, uh, you know, live out on, in the wilderness. Not, not an easy task, but he did it because of the love of the people and because of his love for God. So he really put himself out there. Most people wouldn't have done that in his position. Tonight we're going to look at more on David's self-exile and Absalom's wicked reign. And this chapter really, the way I look at it, it's divided into three vignettes, three little short stories. And number one is the deceptive Ziba, which we'll encounter first, and then the uh, accusative Shimei, and then lastly the ungodly counsel that Ahithophel gives to Absalom. So starting with verse 1, it says, When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them two hundred loaves of bread, one hundred clusters of raisins, one hundred summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you, that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. So David's on the run. It's a difficult time. And he's encountering different groups of people, some good, some bad, some good motives, some bad motives, sort of like we encounter every day. Well, Ziba has bad motives. He's the servant of Mephibosheth, who was Jonathan's son, or King Saul's grandson, before he had, you know, he passed away. He was killed in battle. And David spared Mephibosheth when he took the kingdom, which was unlike the, a conquering king. He was very gracious to those in uh, Saul's household, Jonathan. But Ziba lies to David about Mephibosheth. He says basically that Mephibosheth is gone and give his loyalty to your son Absalom. Remember who is the reason why David is on the run and in his exile. So, you know, he does this really for the purpose of getting David's favor. So when David is restored back to the kingdom, um, Ziba can come in and take everything from Mephibosheth, all that he has. He's kind of hedging his bets, uh, very shrewd. He's definitely a son of darkness who's shrewd in his dealings. I think what's most disturbing is the fact that Ziba apparently knew enough about God that he would reinstate David, but he doesn't behave as a child of God. And it's sad when those in the community of God's people know a lot about God and know a lot about the Bible, but they're treacherous, they're imposters. Uh, he's going to get what he needs from God in a sense, but he's not going to submit to God as his Lord. Again, he has evil motives. So there's two issues at stake. And I like to throw these in because obviously there's something we can learn from everything that's in sacred scripture. And I find this portion of scripture fashion, fascinating. But there's two issues at stake in this dealings with Ziba. The first one is motives. Ziba has bad motives. Ziba has no conscience. He's okay to be reinstated after David takes the throne, 
only to take a lame man who can't walk and throw him out of his kingdom and steal everything he has. Now, this works out to the better later on down the road, but, you know, obviously, how do you have a conscience doing that? Take a disabled person, especially in those days, and just chuck them to the curb. Not, not very nice. And motives, we should look at motives in our own lives. Our motives when dealing with people, and for those that come to us, and what their motives are when they deal with us, and to be discerning. And I, I submit to you ahead of time that David, he's in a difficult time. You know, he's concerned about his own life and his own safety and his own future. And maybe David doesn't make all the right decisions at first because of that difficulty. And we'll cover that. The second point is that David makes the decisions without all the facts. I love to quote Proverbs 18, even today, to believers. And I find myself quoting it a lot. I love it so much, I'm going to turn to it. Two verses, Proverbs 18:13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. And that sounds ridiculous. How do you answer a matter before you hear it? Exactly. And hearing it means hearing everything. Hearing all the evidence. Hearing both sides of the story. And 17, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Or what we would call uh, in court TV, cross-examination. You can make any statement you want. Unchecked. Sounds plausible until the person you're talking about comes and cross-examines you and says, wait a minute, do you remember, you know, and they start to, you see this in court, be careful the statements you make when you're on the stand because when you get cross-examined, it's not fun, it's not a good thing. So you better tell the truth. So whether it's gossip or character assassination, the expression goes, believe none of what you hear, but half of what you see. (laughs) I like that expression. I was actually watching a a police video that's, I don't want to say too much of it, it's out in the public now, and I was watching it, you know, and uh, I thought I knew what was going on. There was some muffled noises, and, you know, you can't hear everything on the recorder. And then I got the transcripts. I thought I knew what I was watching until I actually heard the transcripts and realized what I thought I saw I didn't see. So that's a great expression. Half of what you see, believe, and none of what you hear. (laughs) Get all the evidence. So, to be <laughs> making the decisions, be careful of making, now this is, this is for us, you know, be careful of making important decisions in four instances. Number one, out of pressure. When people come to us and they pressure, well, you've got to give me an answer now. Well, why did your emergency now become my problem? This is something serious and I may want to pray about it. You might not get an answer in an hour. All right, so be careful of making a very important decision because you're pressured for time. Number two, out of flattery. Sometimes people flatter us because they're setting us up. You know what I'm saying? A very wise person said, flattery is like perfume. Sniff it, don't swallow it. Third point, be careful of making important decisions out of obligation or because somebody's been generous to us. That's a tough one. You know, we have this thing with human beings is sociology. You know, someone goes and gives us something or, or says something and, and we, we go back and we want to return the favor. Be careful. Sometimes we can make bad decisions like that. And four, and I, I, I'm actually looking at this and all four of these are for us, but they also uh, were for David as well. The fourth point is be careful of making an important decision when we don't have our wits about ourselves. Be careful of making an important decision when we're emotional. 
when we're angry, when we're sad, when we're depressed, be careful. All right, so let's, let's move on. Verse 5, vignette number 2. Now when King David came to Behurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of, of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also Shimei said when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Very interesting conversation with Shimei. Actually, seems like mostly a one-sided conversation. Number one, Shimei throws rocks at David. Showed very great disrespect to the king. And it shows that David was humble. He could have killed him. But he, you know, he restrained himself. Two, he's verbally assaulted, right? Verbally assaulted by Shimei. He hits a little bit of a nerve. It's a quasi-truth. It's real close to the truth, but it's not there. It's an almost truth, and we'll, we'll cover that. Shimei's argument was this, basically, that David was responsible uh, for the death of King Saul and his sons and maybe others in the house of Saul, and there was a lot of bloodshed, but here's the truth. David was hiding out with the Philistines, the enemies of Israel, while this stuff was happening, and there was a battle where the Philistines killed King Saul and his sons. Now, I believe, well, I know that David didn't fight with the Philistines to attack Israel. That's a fact. And I believe that had he been pressured by the Philistines, he would not have done it. Remember, he was hiding from Saul because Saul was trying to kill him. But he would never have engaged in that part of the battle, obviously. And here's the deal, that the most effective lies have some truth mixed in with them. Yes, he was on the side of the Philistines, but he only went as far as he could to find refuge where King Saul couldn't catch up with him. However, Shimei took this to a conclusion that never manifested itself, never occurred. It never happened. Now, lies make their own conclusions. Lies can be uh, some, sort of, uh, some sort of projection. Projection, I like this in behavior. A person feels a certain way about themselves, so they project what they don't like onto another person. Well, I would do that, so probably he would do that. Careful with that. Lies are completely unfounded, you know, at times. The truth is that David loved Jonathan, and David loved King Saul and had multiple opportunities to kill him, and he never took the opportunity. That's a fact. What's really sad is when the Lord has forgiven us for something, and we're free and forgiven, and other people try to hold it over our heads, Right? God is so gracious, people can be mean and cruel, but, um, you know, this is what's going on here. We also need to consider the source. Shimei was from the family of the house of Saul. Could it be that the apple didn't fall far from the tree? Saul was a, a worldly man. He was a man of the flesh. He often omitted God from his major decisions. This was the type of man that Saul was, and he was judged for it. Now, Shimei may have never accepted anyone that wasn't from Saul's line, whether it was David or anybody else. And when we look at our own lives, when we're being attacked, we should consider the source, right? Consider the source. That can tell a lot about why we're being attacked. 
Tonight's cliche night. Consider the source. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Good stuff, though. Good stuff. And we're going to do a few more cliches before the, the night is over. Verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. That's the way I think he said it. <laughs> and the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my, my life. How much more may now this Benjaminite let him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. You have to, the Hebrew can be a little choppy when it's translated to English. This is possibilities that David is looking at. Again, he's, you know, what's going on here? But those close to David wanted to kill Shimei. And Abishai is the type of man who wanted to take care of business. You often see him doing that. In 1 Samuel uh, 26, he wanted to kill King Saul. In 2 Samuel 3, he assisted in the murdering of Abner. So these guys were loyal to David, but I think he, he took his job a little bit too far at times. He just was looking to take people out. But David was a man who used restraint. And I find very admirable a man or a woman in a position of power that shows restraint instead of always be doing something or being execute judgment because they can. It shows more about a person when they can do something to that magnitude, but they show restraint. And that's the type of person that David was. You know, he was exiled. He could have killed Shimei with little or no consequences. Uh, and as a matter of fact, certain behavior towards the king would have been illegal anyway. But David uses restraint. I think today, men and women in government, especially in ours, could learn a little something from this. Because men and women, when you give them power, they don't often want to part with it. And I think we're seeing that, unfortunately, in our country. And there's a big, you know, I think sometimes the Constitution and laws are going out the window these days with some of these scandals. People are literally getting away with murder. But David was a man who could hold himself back, had the power to do things, had a power to take vengeance on his enemies, but he showed an incredible amount of self-restraint. You know, you, you got to identify with David through this. You know, we've been through some difficult times, right? We've been through emotional times. We've been through times that we could do something or we could say something. And the Lord says, you know what? It's not going to get you anywhere and it wouldn't be pleasing to me. And, you know, and the Lord speaks to you and says, you know what? Just, just take it easy. Trust me, everything will work out for the good. Give it some time. Give me some time to work. So, you know, I, I just, when I, when I start reading this stuff, I, I really get into it. I, I think, how would I handle that? What, what would be my situation, you know? So it's, it's a good thing to kind of put yourself in there. But David is considering one of two possibilities in this situation. The first one is, I deserve it. Now, we always need to be open to the Lord's chastening, right? It's very immature if every time we go through a trial, we immediately blame someone, blame God, and say, this shouldn't happen to me. Always, when we go through something, we need to step back and say, Lord, are you trying to get my attention? Was it a, what is it I'm supposed to learn through this? Um, also knowing, though, on the other hand, that if God has forgiven us for sin, 
he, he, it disappears as from the east is to the west. He remembers it no more. He's forgiven us. And we can't allow people to keep holding stuff over our heads when we've been forgiven for something. The second point is that his other uh, consideration is that the Lord will see if I am wronged, right? then the Lord will avenge me. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Referring back to Deuteronomy 32, 35. And I found that, you know, when, when I have a battle to fight, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty type A, you know, driven, let's get her done type of person. And it's easy for me to, to go. But I find that when I use restraint and let the Lord do it, it always turns out a lot better than if I was to jump. All right, Lord, you, you see what's going on. You, you read this letter, you know, I, I know you're watching. Do, do what you do best. I'm just going to sit back and, and watch you go. And I'll tell you what, it's a good thing, right? Verse 13. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. This guy was very motivated. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. So David and his men, his men are loyal to David. They endure it, probably not very happy about it uh, the whole time. And they get to their destination and they get refreshed. And you know what? It's nice to be refreshed after we deal with difficulty. And I, I look at Shimei and, and you know, he reminds me of people who, they, they expend so much energy doing bad, doing evil, fighting against the Lord. When if they would put the same effort into their professions or into serving the Lord, what incredible people they would be. But they're just hell-bent on evil. You know, sometimes you, we look at even some of the criminals, that they're so bright, they're so smart, you know, but they get caught. Uh, and you say, gee, if they would just put that into a, a profession, they would do very well in life, you know, if they worked for the good side. So sometimes that refreshment comes in the form of people. We've all been blessed at times that um, we've been refreshed by the Lord. Or the Lord brings us somebody who knows supernaturally what we're going through and, and says, I'm praying for you, and this is what the Lord showed me. Really nice when that happens. But through this, we see that David is becoming more Christ-like. David's been betrayed. He's suffered. He's been cast out, right? All the things that Jesus endured. And he's been afflicted. And afflictions mold our character. Now, there's a silly doctrine that says that we should always be healthy, wealthy, and popular. But really, if that was me, my whole Christian walk, I'd be a spoiled brat, right? I mean, those, I, I find that, in general, those who have been through really hard things in life have just stronger, better, deeper character than those that are a mile wide and, and an inch thick. So um, it's, it's a good thing. Now, don't get me wrong, Lord, I'm not looking to go back to any of those things. <laughs> Let's just get that straight. But, but I know, looking back in hindsight, through the storm, you, you know, you can see when you're inside of a storm, what do you see? There's wind, there's rain. You, you can't see what's going on. There's things blowing around. It's blurry. And it's, it's so true. Even when you get out of a physical storm and you look back, now you can see how big the storm is, which way it's moving, how it's packaged up, right? It's the same thing with a spiritual storm. Once we go through the storms of life and we look back, Oh, now I get it. Oh, it's so clear to me. But when we're going through, we're like, oh, Lord, why? So, um, you know, check that out. That's, that's pretty cool as well. Verse 15. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel, 
was with him. Hithophel was the traitor to David. And so it was when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! So Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? Meaning David. And Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son, as I have served in your father's presence? So will I be in your presence. Hushai is still David's friend. He's being deceptive to Absalom. However, Absalom buys the deception because pride is his Achilles heel. He thinks he's all that in a bag of chips and everyone's going to defect towards him. You know, he thinks he's so great that people are just falling in line to leave David and come to him. Pride 16, 8, or excuse me, Proverbs 16, 18. A little slip there. All right, it's late. <laughs> it says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And Absalom's going to take a big fall. Literally, we'll see. But... Listen, you get to the top through deceit, pride, trickery. Um, look at any of the, the story of any of the dictators throughout the, throughout the ages, throughout our time. And they've either been paranoid or they should be paranoid. It's one of the two, right? When you get through the, to the top through deceit and trickery and you're that evil, you probably should be paranoid. And if you're not, you're foolish. But this is, you know, you reap what you sow. And this is what Absalom is starting to reap. Verse 18. Now, Abs- or excuse me, Hushai, Absalom probably thought when he said, long live the king, in uh, Hushai's mind, he probably thought in his mind, long live the king, meaning David. However, Absalom takes it as him. Which king will he serve? Absalom must take it, oh, it's me. Where Hushai in his mind may be saying, I'm serving David, and I'm also serving God the king, but I'm not serving you. So people question, well, you know, the deceit, and was that really a good idea? Did he completely trust the Lord if he was being deceptive? I can see both sides to that. You know, I mean, we shouldn't go around being deceptive because we're on the side of righteousness. We should try to be as truthful as possible. Verse 20. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give counsel as to what we should do. And Ahithophel, now notice he didn't ask the Lord, as David would, has you know, checking with the priest, the Urim and the Thummim, or just praying to God. So he checks with Ahithophel. And Ahithophel says to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And the counsel of Ahithophel which he gave in those days, was one, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. So Ahithophel is a traitor. He comes up with this horrible idea to completely sever the ties between Absalom and his father David, and that is to put a tent up in a high place on the roof and sleep with the uh, concubines. Now, this concubine and wife has been used interchangeably but however you look at it, it's a sick plan. You know, conquering kings would do this when they would conquer uh, the king of another nation. 
He didn't know the king. He didn't know the women. It was a, a way of, you know, it was a very fleshy and worldly way to show I'm now the new king. I'm the new boss. However, Absalom knew these women. It's creepy. Some of them could have been his wet nurse. Some of them could have been as close as a mother. And this is what he does. Real sick. This is what happens when we sin. We think that this is a good idea when we're in sin, but it's twisted. And this is what's going on. Talk about burning a bridge. This was an act that would show the people, I'm done with my father. I mean, that, would, that act would show there's no reparations. Now, I believe that David, actually, when we go further, still try to repair things with his son. And one of his men killed his son, and David did not authorize that, but we'll get to that. But this brings me to bridge burners. You ever meet somebody who's a bridge burner? Maybe before the cross, some of us used to be a bridge burner. We just do things out of emotion, out of anger, out of uh, whatever the case may be. And uh, it's such a, a final act that it severs a relationship between two people. Um, and you know what, with bridge burners, sometimes it's good for them to feel the full weight of their decisions and consequences before they can be healed of that. Uh, we don't want to burn so many bridges. And this shouldn't be our motto. We should be building bridges. You know, some burn so many bridges that now they're on an island by themselves with no way to get off that island, um, spiritually speaking. But the truth is that God can repair anything. And I'm, I'm sure of that. He can take that old bridge that one of us burnt down, that old wooden bridge that was loose and flimsy anyway, and replace it with a concrete and steel bridge. That's my God. He's the God of healing. However, in this instance, Absalom did not want that as we'll read in the further chapters. 23, again, it's very interesting, and it says, And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. Now, that doesn't mean, and again, if you look at some of these other translations, it, it's a little clearer. It doesn't mean that Ahithophel was giving godly counsel. It means that stupid Absalom, right? Stupid Absalom was looking to Ahithophel as if he was you know, God in a sense. This was the God that he made in his image for his kingdom. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves, who are we getting counsel from? Every one of us can think about that. Who are we getting counsel from? Is it ultimately coming from God? Are we sure? We sure about that? I'll tell you, my rule is, and I think anyone who's counseling someone to do right and that person's looking for other counsel, counsel shopping, or finding competing counsel that's evil. At some point, if we respect ourselves and we're giving something out precious, it is from God, it is from the Bible, it is a treasure. At some point, we may have to say, listen, this is the road you want to go down. I respect myself. I'm going to back off. You continue getting a Hithophel's counsel and see where that leads you. When you're ready for good counsel, you can come back. But we should be looking for those that are counseling us using the word. If not the scriptures directly, at least biblical principles. Very, very important. I covered Second Peter on Sunday about those, I think you got enough of the, the vomit discussion, um, the Second Peter. <laughs> See, you were all here for that. But it's true, people will go back to their own spiritual vomit. What is it about that vomit that you love? Because to me, it's repulsive. And the Word of God uses that word specifically because probably one of the most disgusting things we deal with is that. It's nasty. 
This comes down to a, compa a comparison between two types of leaders, leadership. David, he was trusting in God for his outcome and his future. Is that the type of leader that we want to be? Like David, hopefully. He had his flaws, and when he sinned, he sinned hard. But boy, was he a repentant soul, and he still remained to be a man after God's heart. He sinned hard, and he suffered and paid for those sins. However, he, he really desired to please the Lord. And probably we can see a little bit of David, in, you know, all of us can see a little bit of David in us in that respect. Hopefully the part where we want to please God and we repent. Absalom was trusting in his looks, charisma, alliances, traitors for the outcome of his kingdom and for his future, but not God. It turned out to be disastrous. And all those things are fleeting. You know, the Bible said that Absalom, out of all... It's so interesting how the Bible would... It picks out certain people and spoken about their physical beauty. Not because it says it's a good thing, but it often turned out to be their demise. Think about that. Absalom was, was beautiful. He had long hair and he would cut it and weigh it and, and get money for it. And, it just, and his, his beautiful locks are the, is the thing that killed him eventually. And we'll find that out as well. It turned out to be his undoing. I will tell you this, that I, it makes me uneasy when I see leaders in our country become more like Absalom than David, more like celebrities than those that really get down and make the hard decisions. It's, it's a scary place to be in our nation's history because a lot are like that. It makes me uneasy when I see leaders in Christianity that are more like Absalom, where uh, they use people. People are used. They're a means to an end. Their means to get money out of them or, or something or favors or paybacks. And they would prefer to use people than to serve them, fleecing instead of feeding the flock. Proverbs 11:14 says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. It's powerful. But in the multitude of counselors, good ones, there is safety. Love the Proverbs. David would never have gone down the road that Absalom went. He would have, even through all his difficulties, he, he still, if he could have repeated it, I believe, still would have left all his goods, left the comforts of creature comforts, and still went out into the wilderness because he loved the people. He would have never followed in Absalom's footsteps. And Absalom could have never gone through what David did to give up of himself for the sake of the people and to live a difficult life in the wilderness because he didn't have the character that his father had. And it shows us a clear distinction in what type of leaders they were. And I thought, gee, how can I make a, uh, an application to where we are today? And I'm like, perfect, election season, <laughs> right? We elect new leaders for our state, our local government, our county, our country, the federal level, right? When we look at these election seasons approaching, we want to pray that our leaders are more like David, more Christ-like, more giving, more servant leadership than takers. I also pray that if we get the opportunity to be a leader, and that could mean you get a promotion at work, very simple. Somebody appoints you. Maybe you run for election in your local government. You're a leader. You know, people are now under you. You have some authority over them. You know, to be, a, again, promoted, to, to be a boss. Everybody, that's a good thing. But my prayer is that when we become leaders or win that position that we use the biblical principles to be a good leader and not a bad leader. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we...